what is conditioning for CrossFit. Yeah. Well, I see you have those books behind you to make you look like more scholarly. That's right. <laughs> the shelves are empty, so you might want to get some more. I know, I know. <laughs> I need some prop for it's some like prop every, books. You know, every commercial for like, call this attorney. And, and it's always like all these books behind them. Like, is that just yeah. a prop at this point? Like, right, right. You know, everything's online now. Why does your law office have so many books? Like, Why do you, you have, have so many books? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. See, everything's online. <laughs> you know, show me the computer terminal. Like, wow, that's a slick monitor. All these books is like, like suing somebody in 1870s, like a cattle theft problem. <laughs> It's just, you know, times are changing. That's all I'm saying. So I like to think of that as like, well, you're slowly going to electronic media. That's why your shelf is half empty. Right. <laughs> Transitioning. Migrating to electronic media. Exactly. You don't see any books here. Right. I know how to read. I've read thousands of books, maybe more, but you know, they're all electronic now. <laughs> Back to Kindles, like, yay, I. <laughs> you know, you can reuse the mind. <laughs> all right. Um, Conditioning for CrossFit. Well, it's, it's, you know, the reason I'm in this business as a CrossFit and fitness and athlete development coach is because of the challenges of conditioning for CrossFit. It's like, if you said, I want to learn to, I want to train to be a triathlete, like that's hard, physically hard, but the conditioning is less complicated, less complicated, not easier, but less complicated than what you want to do to make a well-rounded CrossFit athlete. So to be like explosive in that two minute Fran time domain and still be competent in like a 20 minute chipper to be able to do both really well is a lot harder than I want to be competitive in marathons or in Ironman. Now, again, excellence is excellence and it all takes a lot of time. So when I say harder, I mean, it's a lot more complicated. There's a lot more variables that go into a high level of conditioning for a CrossFit athlete versus a high level of conditioning for an endurance athlete. One more time, they're equally difficult but the functional fitness side is way more complicated. And that's what attracts me to it. I got nothing but respect for people who can complete an Ironman. God bless them. It's not me. But from a problem solving inputs to output standpoint, conditioning for CrossFit athletes is just like a, a super awesome challenge to try to untie. And it varies for every athlete because they're all shaped differently, right? So like I'm six foot three, that's a different kettle of fish than somebody who's five foot eight. And like your background in sports, like I have a pretty decent strength background and then you know, the basketball and soccer background way before that. So when I started CrossFit, I was like, I'm strong enough. Like, that's good. But somebody who's never really lifted before, but maybe they were a swimmer in college, you watch these people never get tired until you give them a 225 barbell. And then it's like, whoa, can't get it past my knees. Well, all right. Like you're in the pool for 10 years. I get it. I can't really swim that fast. You know, (laughs) so it's, it's like a, every new athlete is a new puzzle. Whereas if both of those guys came to me and said, I want to run an Ironman or do a finish an Ironman, it's kind of the same challenge. Like, oh, you're taller. So what? Like, you, know, you still have to work for 10 hours. Like, it's the same. And, and you don't really have an advantage unless you're, you know, if you're lighter or whatever. But like CrossFit conditioning stuff is super awesome and super challenging. And that's why I've, I've come back to it for, you know, coaching like almost five years now and, and gym ownership even before that. So I just, I think it's a super awesome challenge because you have to synthesize a lot of different inputs to get a lot of different outputs all in one body, which I think is super cool. Um, you know, what I saw out there was kind of a process of like learning as I go. So I, I told the story a lot of times, but as I went through competing in the regionals and other things, it was like, all right, everybody's strong, but no one can go long. We all need to go long. And then it's like, all right, well, I'm going long. My strength is going down. I'm still like doing a lot of Metcons, but last year I finished 10th. Now I'm ninth. I feel like I worked harder than that. You know, <laughs> it's like, I don't, 
so that got to a point where the way I thought about the conditioning side of things was like, got to train smarter, not harder. And the other thing was, and I've told this a bunch of times too, like I was 38 and there was no 35 to 39 division. So I was like, that guy's 23, I'm 38. Like he's going to recover faster than I am. There's just no legal way around that. And, and I'm not going to break the rules for like the CrossFit regionals. It's, it's important to me, but I'm not going to start using drugs because I get a t-shirt, you know, it's not, not what I'm about. So I started thinking like there has to be a way to train smarter because I, I can't do five Metcons. I got to do five Metcons, go have a beer, sleep two hours and do it again. I'll do five Metcons. You stuck in bed for three days. I'm like, it's not going to work. And I believe me, I learned this the hard way. It's like, all right, I'm really, really run down. All right. Well, you've done 16 Metcons this week. It's Thursday. Ah, okay. I'm smart enough to know that maybe that's not the answer for a 38 year old body. So a lot of my like discovery of how the conditioning side works was really like self-promotional first. Like, all right. I need to beat these younger guys. Now I'll fast forward to the end of the story. I didn't beat all the younger guys. I beat some of them, but at the end of the day, like in athletics, youth is a nice thing to have on your side. So God bless those guys. Um, but I did get pretty fit in the process. So I, 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 like I said, a couple minutes ago, it's really a lot of inputs to get a lot of capabilities. And I, I started looking at this and going, okay, what do I need to do? What's out there? And then, you know, a lot of this is you have to do what you don't want to do. So at first it's got, I need to go long, you know, I need to do, need to do other things. And I, I sort of synthesized that into one model, which I've called the not easy to remember and even less easy to say physiological infrastructure model of work capacity, which is on the website. Y'all can check it out. But the idea is basically that any conditioning approach for functional fitness should, should be based on an understanding of the physiology of muscle cells and the, the systems that supply energy to them and clear waste products away. And that's kind of how I started thinking about it. And from that came a realization that like, okay, you can't just go long. Like you need to go long, but you can't only go long because that's a, a narrow slice of muscle fibers and you can't only do intervals. Same reason. And then there's, okay, so like I'm doing going long and I'm doing intervals. Well, that's going to be a pretty good program. But now you get into the fact that a lot of sustaining high intensity activity or, or repeatedly working at above threshold intensity is, is based around clearing waste products away, like the, the waste products of, of, uh, of the um, glycolytic reactions, protons, lactate, their transport or shuttle systems that clear that stuff out of muscle cells. And a lot of it has to do with like the capillary blood supply to those muscles. And you'll, you'll stimulate those systems best working at very high intensity. If you want to learn to clear something away, you have to produce a lot of it and sprints are actually good for that. So now you're saying, well, a conditioning program looks like going along, doing intervals and occasional sprints. Well, yes, <laughs> like that's what you need to do. So the next question that came from that is like, all right, how do you structure that? And that is extremely athlete dependent. Number one, it's muscle fiber type dependent. If I had, you know, just to use an extreme example, like an NFL defensive back or a sprinter come to me and say, I want to get better at CrossFit. Said, well, you picked the wrong sport because you're going to be so overwhelmingly fast twitch that you're going to, you're never going to, or it's going to take an extreme amount of work to overcome that. But fortunately, those exceptionally gifted at fast twitch activity type athletes usually excel in mainstream sports. So they don't come to CrossFit to go. Oh, you can run the 40 and four, three, five. Well, okay. Like there's sports that reward that <laughs> lots of them. You probably also have a 38 inch vertical and there's a lot you can do with that, you know? So, so 
you rarely see those kind of athletes in CrossFit. But but I have seen a few. I had one guy who was an alternate for um, the Olympic team in the 100 meters. Putting an engine on that guy was extremely difficult. And another woman who's actually ran the 200, I think 200 meter uh, nationals in college, very, very good runner. Same kind of thing. Like, hey, I, I my engine, like when I get super intense, I get tired. I'm like, well, you, you have all your muscle fibers are fast twitch. The, the point of all this talking about fast twitch people is that organizing the program has to reflect the muscle fiber type composition of the athlete. And since that's pretty variable among athletes, it has to be genericized a little bit. And one of the things I realized was what other people out there were doing, like, all right, you know what, we're going to just, you start with going long and you build up that zone two base. That's fine for most, like it, it, that's never bad, but for a lot of athletes, like they might already be biased that way. So you're just making them better at something they can already do. And I, one of the things I realized was like, there is a, there is a clear the deck process or like, think of it this way. If you're building a house, which is something I've done in the past and don't want to do again, you pick out the site. But the first thing you do is like, you clear it off. It's like, well, the first thing you do is pour the foundation. Like, no, you first thing you do is like clear it off and make sure that the ground is suitable for laying that foundation. And that's sort of one of the things I realized was that the, the first step has to be a more general approach with some intervals, some long stuff and some sprints to just prepare the athlete, whatever their biases are, you want to try to level set them at, at some capability of slow twitch, slow twitch, fast twitch and everything in between. So that, that level set process doesn't happen with a lot of programs. They jump into like, well, I'm doing a ton of zone two work. Not bad for you, but if you're already biased that way, it's not that great for you. So are you doing zone two work because you were a runner before you came here? Well, you already have that. So we really like the level setting process needs to bias you more towards the intervals and the sprint type stuff. And then the, uh, you know, maybe you're a, a football player in college or a sprinter, you know, the extreme example or something, or maybe you haven't been active in a while, then you need a more generalized, okay, a little bit of slow, a little bit of fast, a little bit of intervals. But another thing I learned as I went was that that you can't do that forever because eventually you have to focus on the subspectrums of muscle fiber types and the systems that bring oxygen to them and clear waste products away. And that requires targeting over time. So I, I, you might just say like, well, go long, do intervals, do sprints, just do that forever. And, and, and you build a huge engine. Well, you, you will get very fit if you do that. It's no denying it, but we've had success with like focusing on narrower, like sub spectrums of muscle fiber types and sequencing them that way. So I guess the general answer, I can get into specifics, but the general answer is like, everyone comes to the problem, to the, the, the problem of needing a bigger engine with their own biases and their own body types. There's a level setting process and then a focus on the underlying physiology, muscle fiber types, and the energy producing process inside of those muscle fibers, um, which will vary based on the different muscle fiber types. Generally speaking, the faster twitch fibers are more on the glycolytic side, the slower twitch are more on the oxidative side. Those respond to training and that's a big part of it too. But recognizing those physiological differences, level setting the athlete and then building up a foundation on top of that. And then as you build the foundation, targeting more specific needs, you know, as the athletes, um, as their engine gets better. Yeah, I, and I think just for context, it's important to mention that we're talking about capacity. So we're talking about an athlete's ability to do work in the sport, in the context of the sport of fitness. Yes. And an individualized prescription for somebody with an endurance background or who, or who is 
just has a very uh, enduring essence and slow twitch makeup is going to involve a lot of resistance training and a lot of oh. tough contractions and getting them to recruit more. But that's, a, that's the other half of the physiological infrastructure model because you have to have both. Oh, yeah, no, that, that's, that's actually back to the beginning of the conversation. It's the complexity that attracted me to this problem, right? Like I don't really want to solve simple problems. Let's just say I've had jobs in the past where my job was to solve simple problems. I was very good at it because they were simple. But I got to a point where I was like, all right, I want to take on complex problems. And what you said is, is like, okay, strength training, resistance training, explosiveness. And then we didn't really talk about it at all, but like the mastery of skills, motor learning, becoming more um, you know, efficient at what you do. There's a video on the website. Everybody should look this up. It's a, a, a woman named uh, Molly Metz, who's like a competitive jump roper or, or mm-hmm. some very, you know, unusual, you know, athletic endeavor. And there's a video of her doing 153 double unders in one minute. And I think she does this with like two fingers and two toes. Like if you watch her, nothing moves. The rope moves super fast. Nothing moves. And I, I, I don't usually like say people's names in podcasts, but this is so absurd that like everyone should watch Molly Metz do double unders because not just how fast she does it, how efficient she is. And the efficiency angle of functional fitness is like, when I watched her work, I was like, okay, she's using only the muscle she needs, you know, a little bit of forearms and, and calves, I guess, right? And nothing she doesn't need. And every muscle she's recruited is contributing. It's just the efficiency, forget the capacity, because that's a lot of practice, a lot of time on task. You're going you're gonna to ultimately get there on task-specific stuff. But the efficiency was like, wow, that's it's just a tiny little bit of movement. That's cool. So, you know, and then you compare that with like an athlete who's just learned to do ring muscle-ups and there's like bent and broken arm and leg patterns all over the place, leg out to the side. And I was that athlete. And most people who have learned ring muscle-ups in a CrossFit gym it's not a movement that you grow up with unless you're a gymnast. So there's a lot of awkwardness. It's like, wait, I'm swinging on these rings off the ground. Like it's just an uncommon movement unless you're a gymnast. So there's going to be a lot of inefficiency in the early stages of the learning process. And that's of course true of any movement, but I I picked the extreme of like an adult trying to do ring muscle ups who's never done gymnastics. Mm. The Inefficiency, like a lot of muscles working, a lot of fatigue being generated. That's unproductive fatigue. It's not helping you when your leg is out to the side. That's actually not helping you complete the task. So the efficiency aspect of building an engine is, is enormous. And, and it's just another variable. I was mostly talking about like, let's actually build the underlying engine, like the pure capacity, the run, bike, row, because ultimately all that other stuff rests on it. So like if, you, if all of your movements were as efficient as this woman doing double unders, you'd be a, a really super good athlete, even if you couldn't row the 2K in, in six minutes. You know, it's like, it's like, the, the pure capacity is the foundation, but it's certainly not the only input. It's just, it's necessary, but not sufficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, the efficiency sure. and then the, the resistance training and the strength, like let's say hypothetically it's 2016 and I can clean 325 pounds. You know, I'm, I'm back at like super strong CrossFit guy for a 40 year old. And like the guy next to me can clean 225 because he's a recreational CrossFitter doing a local competition and there's 135 pound thrusters. That guy could have six lungs and two hearts. It wouldn't matter. I'm going to kill him in that workout because I'm so much stronger. So what that means physiologically is like I'm recruiting fewer muscle fibers. So I'm, you know, every time I do a thruster at one third of my max and he's at one half of his, he's going like further into that spectrum of muscle fibers. So he's getting more fibers tired faster. And it doesn't really matter how much 
quicker he can recover. The fact that more fibers are working versus me using less is a is something he's not going to beat me at unless the workout gets very very long, you know, mm -hmm. half an hour or something. But mm -hmm. typically yep. in like a short CrossFit competition workout, six eight minutes, the fact that you can recover faster is a wonderful gift to have. It will never beat those muscle fibers aren't working at all. Mm -hmm. If they're not working at all, they don't have to recover. So it's like you're putting up ones and I'm putting up zeros and the lowest score wins, you know, like mm -hmm. that's really what it comes down to. Whereas like a less fit athlete might be putting up threes and getting tired fast. And I'm using these numbers to represent like a scale of fatigue that would happen. So I'm talking a little fast, but like strength is huge because it, it minimizes the number of muscle fibers being used. So before you even get to the pure capacity of those fibers, are they working? Well, if no, you're doing great because you're getting work done without muscle fibers working. Yeah. You know, so, so, the efficiency of uh, Molly Metz on the jump rope combined with like high degrees of strength are equally important to the pure capacity. It's third, I, I, I think it's a, a, I hate this metaphor. I think it's a three-legged <laughs> stool, right? It's like pure capacity, efficiency, strength. Like, yes, that, that's all the ingredients and the way they are synthesized in an individual athlete will vary tremendously. Like you're a different than athlete than I am. And, and like the other people we coach are all different. So, but yeah, it, it's not just a pure capacity, like how much energy can you make in the muscle fibers and how fast can you get rid of the waste products? It's like, all right, cool. You can row a 2K in 608. That's impressive. This barbell weighs 315, deadlift it 30 times. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's a different animal. Okay, you can do that. Well, all right, great. Now do uh, 20 muscle ups and 20 handstand pushups and then do some deadlifts. Like it's a, it's a lot of moving parts. And I think that's the really cool thing about it. But any one of those parts, to me, I think that the unifying idea of the physical physiological infrastructure model is like you can point to a muscle fiber conception of that issue. So like deadlifts, you're recruiting a lot of muscle fibers, but the stronger you get, the fewer you use for a given weight. So you become, you know, on the efficiency side, like you can do a lot of pull-ups, but the more efficient you are, the fewer muscle fibers you're using to do those tasks. So you fatigue slower. So like fatiguing slower in the activity itself is mm -hmm. as important as recovering quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're really kind of coming at it from both ends. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I just think that, that we are talking about conditioning in this chat. And yeah. I just think just situating that in the context of everything else, that's also valuable and oh, yeah, important yeah. Is, is good, yeah. but I wanted to just sort of go back to the year of the engine and talk about, how, you know, bring the scope into conditioning at this point for the sport of fitness and how a lot of the advanced protocols in the year of the engine use the ergs to recruit faster twitch muscle fibers mm -hmm. and then attempt to condition those. Um, oh, yeah. so, so, and that seems to be a critical, like valued attribute in the, in the sport. Oh, it's huge. So like, if you think about the, how it feels during, you know, like you told me off camera, I think a little while ago, you're doing a competition this weekend. So there's nothing like competition intensity and, and just, you just got to go like, this is what we train for. And it's fun, whether it's the CrossFit games or it's a local throwdown, you still want to win. And, and more importantly, you still want to give your best effort and kind of know where you stand. So that feeling is like, okay, you're on most Metcons where you're competing and you're really trying to do your best, you're exceeding threshold intensity repeatedly and trying to like survive it. You know, you'll hear coaches say like, well, that guy can really like suffer through a lot. Okay. But like maybe 
you want to be able to do a certain pace without suffering that much. And, and that's sort of a, that's sort of an amorphous thing. Like, wow, that guy has a high pain tolerance or he suffered through a lot. Like, how do you, that's cool. Maybe he does, but how do you train that? And most coaches don't have, oh, he's just like that. All right. Well, if he's just like that, then it's not going to work for these other athletes because they're not just like that. So I kind of started looking at it as like slow twitch, fast twitch. Eventually you, you need to develop energy producing capabilities that allow you to repeatedly exceed threshold intensity and recover from it. So exceeding threshold intensity typically means the glycolytic engine. So you want to make the glycolytic engine as sustainable as possible, which is ultimately, you know, there's a limit to that. There's nobody who can, you know, run a mile in 230 because they stay on glycolytic power the whole time. You do have to use the oxidative engine. It, it too has to be large, but you have to build up a glycolytic engine that can sustain itself. And, and that rests on top of a foundation of an oxidative engine that gets more and more powerful. So as you get into the advanced parts of your, the engine, it's really like increasing the oxidative capacity of faster twitch muscle fibers and increasing your ability to withstand bursts of very high intensity activity. So fast twitch muscle fibers can develop bigger oxidative engines. In fact, like there's not, there are pretty hard lines between muscle fiber types. They can change, but they, they don't often change. And, and you can't take like an ordinary athlete and turn him into a fast twitch monster. You can't have that much change. You can make the muscle contraction velocity faster, but you can't really change the muscle fiber types that much. There is a lot more flexibility and variability and responsiveness to training in the energy producing capabilities. You can actually take fast twitch fibers or, you know, hybrid fibers that are fast twitch biased and put a lot of oxidative capacity into them. The challenge with that is too much intensity recruits more glycolytic fibers that undermines the oxidative process. I'll come back to that. So it's, it's about targeting the intensity in a narrow part of the spectrum to recruit fast twitch fibers, but not so many of them and not at such an intensity that you're going to get the glycolytic engine. So you can't really getting way out on a technical limb here, but you, it's, it's hard to increase the oxidative capacity of fast twitch fibers until there's an underlying foundation, which is why we don't really start the oxidative capacity of fast twitch fibers until year two, or really the flux phase, which is month 10, because the, the first three phases of the program are about building an engine that's going to be able to handle almost anything. And then we say, okay, well, now that you're really like generally well-conditioned, let's do some specifics. And like, let's, let's do some intervals at above your time trial paces where the intervals get progressively longer or the rest get shorter. So we're not trying to overwhelm the athlete and make them, you know, spaz out on glycolytic power and lower their intracellular pH. And that's the end of the workout. It's like, no, 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 let's, okay. We recruited, and I'm, I'm making this up for, to make it understandable. We recruited eight muscle fibers that last time. This interval is a little longer. We're going to get nine. This one's a little longer. We're going to get 10. And now some are getting tired. So now we're kind of that, you know, now we're at 11. Can you hit 12? Instead of saying, give me a max effort and just recruit all 40, right? It's like, no, no, we're trying to like move up the chain of like a little bit more each time. And that, that's how, how we approach like, okay, we need a few more fast twitch fibers, but not so many that they can't cycle on and off and recover during the process. We never want to, well, there are days we want to, but and the building oxidative capacity into fast twitch fibers, we never want to get into that past the red line of like, all right, now the glycolytic engine takes over. 
and I, I said before, I'd come back to something. Too much glycolytic power produces a lot of hydrogen ions and protons that lowers your intracellular pH. That lower intracellular pH uh, reduces oxidative power because it, 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 um, it, it interferes with the signal inside of cells that, that when, when there's in, an increased concentration of ADP, that's supposed to trigger mitochondrial activity to make, make uh, ATP, more energy. When the pH gets too low, that process is interrupted. So that's kind of back to like, well, I do all these sprints. Why doesn't my engine get better? Well, it will get a little better, but your lower pH, you're going to be, you're going to impede the signaling that makes oxidative capacity work. So that's why the, there's a lot of tar, like specificity about how to put oxidative capacity into fast twitch muscle fibers. That answer might've been a little bit more technical than, than you know, he wanted, but there it is. And the other thing before you interrupt me and, and bring this conversation back to like how normal people talk is being able to withstand the um, accumulation of waste products or not so much to withstand it. That's a mental thing, but to like buffer and neutralize and transport the accumulation of waste products from glycolytic power. And that's mostly lactate and, and uh, um, protons. And that requires very high intensity to do. But we don't do a lot of that really until the end of the second year, beginning of the third year of the program, because that requires all the other systems to work super well. If I take a beginner athlete and say, we're going to work on buffering, they're going to throw up. Like they're going to, okay, you know, every minute on the minute, bike at max intensity for eight seconds. Seems easy for like the first three minutes. Around minute 11, well, they're not going to make it to minute 11 if they're a beginner. Around minute six, you're going to think differently about it. And you're not going to be able to do max intensity minutes, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. So we save that for much later. But the goal there is like, if you want to get better at reducing waste products, you need to train your body to produce a lot of waste products so it can learn how to neutralize them or, or, or transport them away. And that really can't be done until an athlete has an extremely well-developed engine that comes later in the thing, but that's mm -hmm. for above threshold sustainability oxidative capacity of fast twitch muscle fibers and the ability to remove waste products from very high glycolytic activity. That's what we're going for. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I just want to inject a little bit of this, a psychological perspective also sure. into that, yeah. which is that, you know, the, the temptation as you're starting something out is to work excessively hard and uh, you, you know, you're, you're pursuing the, the virtue of that and, uh, you know, expecting a certain return on how hard you're working. Mm -hmm. And in reality, the further out you are from your goal, the more accumulation you need to be doing. So the more, you know, it needs to be more biased towards volume and mm -hmm. not easy work, but easier work so that you can accumulate enough of it to respond well to more intense training. And I think that's that's sort of what gets inverted a lot of the time and you're starting out and you think i need to be working hard i need to be doing more or or not more but i need to be you know squeezing the juice out of everything that i'm doing and that's that's more how the how, how you attain to peak performance when you already have a mountain of work that you've ascended right versus mm -hmm somebody who's built that and is very advanced in training age from a conditioning standpoint, has all the underlying physiological infrastructure to, to 
do an intense workout and actually buffer those protons and not get crushed mm -hmm. physiologically because, you know, they have the systems to remove waste products and, you know, that there, there is a time to summon that pain tolerance that, you know, being so aligned that you're not even perceiving the discomfort of it. And that that's there, there's, there's a time when psychologically that's beneficial. Oh, huge. And like, yeah. And then look, one of the, the great things about CrossFit as a gym owner, I saw this, like it gives people an outlet to work hard. It's like, no, you don't have to walk on the treadmill for 30. Like, you, you work on the treadmill if you want. That's, it's not going to kill you. It's not bad for you. But like, you know, if you come into CrossFit gym, there's going to be an AMRAP eight and you're just going to let it rip. And whether you're, you know, an advanced athlete like, like me or, or kind of a beginner that, or someone who only does CrossFit for, for just to do CrossFit and go home. It's like, you're going to work hard. That's super awesome. But if your long-term goals are like, I want to get better at this, the initial thought is, well, I'll just work harder. And that's like, that's healthy, right? Because the, the path to anything excellent is going to be hard work. But it, it sort of, it undermines what you were just saying, which is like, all right, it, it's about the accumulation. So as a coach, you sort of have to say to people like, hey, in the beginning, we're not going to see like these crazy days, like, if you looked at a, a day in month 30, you could probably complete it once, but it, you wouldn't benefit from it. And if you did that every day, you'd quickly burn yourself out. And the reason people in month 30 do it every day is because it's month 30. And, and so it, it, it's important as coaches to say, like, all right, look, let's, let's, let's look at today's goals, but let's look at the big picture. Like, what do you want in three years? What, what would fitness mean to you in three years? Is it like competing a sanctional? Is it like, I have to lose a bunch of weight. Is it, I just want to like feel and look really good, whatever it is. Let's, let's, let's always like, let's have, let's have two eyes. Let's look at two goals. Like what are we doing today? And what's the long-term goal. Right. So that's it kind of, I, mean, I think I was dumbing down what you were saying. It's what happened. <laughs> yeah, no, no, like, no. You know, it's like, yeah, what are we doing today? What are we doing long-term and how does today support that? And, and one of the hardest things to teach newer athletes is like, a lot of successful todays equal a successful three years, but you can't compress it to two years just because you did more workouts every day. It's still three years, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, there's certainly a psychological aspect to it and a psychological aspect to it that most steps forward will be small. Sometimes so small as to be imperceptible. Like how many times have you had athletes come to you and be like, yeah, I, I was like, I was snatching 190 and I just hit 205. Like, well, yeah, gains are nonlinear. Like, it's, it's, you don't exactly, they're, they're from, if you zoom out enough, they're linear, but mm -hmm. you can't predict like, well, we did 20 snatch workouts. So you probably gained, no, it, it just, it all comes together. So yes, there's a huge psychological aspect of like the delayed gratification aspect of it and, and being willing to accept that working a lot harder in the beginning may not yield proportional benefit in the long term. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. It's just a, mm -hmm. When I hear when you talk about the psychological aspect, be patient, show yeah. up every day, but be patient. Right. Yeah. yeah. Word to the wise. Right. I, th I think that's a good uh, stopping point for today. So. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah.